And a very warm welcome to God Botherers with me, Rob Bethel, the layman. And me, the Reverend Martin Little. This is a podcast for those of you who are a little bit curious about this thing called Christianity. What do Christians believe? What do Christians do? And most importantly, to be a Christian, do I have to believe in a bearded sky god? No, no you don't. So join us as we openly explore Christian ideas about life whilst hopefully having a laugh along the way. Hey, hello, Martin. <laughs> hello, Rob. Hello. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm feeling uh, good. I'm, I'm excellent. It's been so hot, and I feel like it's starting to cool down now, which I'm quite slightly quite pleased about. Yeah, I hope. I was working outside the other day, um, doing a job, various jobs for someone in their garden and I was my face was sweating so much that it was like working under a waterfall I mean I couldn't believe how much water came out of my body it was horrible wow um so yeah I I for one am looking forward to cooler weather excellent well that's a lovely image for our (laughs) listeners of Rob's Rob's unnaturally sweaty face (laughs) Yeah, I'm not normally that sweaty, yes. but that day, goodness me, it's yeah, been it's, so humid. It, it, it has been crazy. I've been, uh, I've, I've sadly, but it's part of the job. I've had a lot of funerals recently, which has meant I've been doing a lot of sweltering in under oh, layers goodness, of robes yeah, and things, yeah. and standing in the hot sun and things like that. But is there any? It's not very pleasant, but yeah. If, is there any health and safety uh, that the Church of England have to? follow in terms of how hot you get investments <laughs> well you would think so when i got my vestments made um i i asked for the coolest material the most breathable that they possibly had because yeah. i can cope with the winter you can always stick a vest yeah. on but in the summer there's nowhere to go yeah yes we you do sometimes get get vickers passing out <gasps> um because they get too hot but um <laughs> occupational hazard yeah. Is a bit. You usually were too cold though, because churches are freezing. Right. Yeah. So, so, but in the summer, could you like cut air vents in various <laughs> places? <laughs> we'll let our readers think about where those places might be. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> they've already thought of your sweaty face, they can think of my aerated cassock now. Well, um, yeah, because what what's the thing you wear? Over the top that covers the front and back. So the cassock is the black, long black thing, and then a surplus is the sheet that goes on the top, and then an alb is a white version, sort of mixture of the oh, two. Cassock you, alb. You're losing me now. It's sort of embroidered I know, I know. with pictures on often. Oh, that, that's that's called a chasuble. <laughs> Chazzy who? Ch- chasuble. 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 We once did a thing at. We did a thing at college, uh, a quiz, which was called Dog or Collar. <laughs> and it was um, it was a list of words, and uh, the participants in the quiz had to tell whether that word was an item of ecclesiastical vesture or a breed of dog. <laughs> I was oh, very proud I of that see. quiz. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I've got a, a church tale for you, Martin. Oh, yes. Tale away. So, yeah, I went to church, and I sat mm. down. And I close my eyes, um, just grounding myself. And then 
I started to smell something <laughs> and it didn't <laughs> smell good. And I, d- oh, no. I just, and then the service started and I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> um, and then it got to just before Holy Communion and I, I smelled this smell again. I thought, oh no, is it coming from my shoes? So I, I looked at oh. my shoes and I walked in dog poo. Oh no. And so we were just, going up to holy communion <laughs> so you know i i was just so self-conscious of this smell emanating from my shoes and as you know as you go up to receive holy communion well certainly in our church we kneel down yes so this the dog poo was in view of everyone behind me and their nostrils oh, so i was there trying to be as reverent as i could be why, whilst stinking of dog poo, <laughs> hoping that the incense would cover up the smell. Well, I think that's what incense was originally for, actually, just to cover up the stench of the congregation. So, <clears throat> Oh, good, good. Oh, you poor yes, soul, so I, uh, Apologies to anyone who goes to my church. If, if I smell bad that day, I've now cleaned my shoes. It's all fine. But uh, please, dog owners, please, can you please pick up your dog poo? Right, so this week, Martin, we are talking about sin and salvation. Yay! So, before I was a Christian, the word sin, I didn't like it. No. didn't like that word. It had real negative connotations for me. Um, Yep. Sin... For me, sin was a way of the church controlling people. It was about judging other people. Um, Sin was responsible for feelings of shame and guilt, which could affect people's mental health. Uh, So it was definitely a barrier for me. Um, Mm. And probably for a lot of people, um, that, that word today has bad connotations. And... I was talking to a friend because he he's not a Christian um, and he'd mm. listened to uh, some of our episodes um, and mm. he told me that once when he was walking through Bristol City Centre there was a preacher and the preacher pointed at him and said, you're a sinner. And my friend, right. like, first of all, I guess my friend thought that's really rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And also, he he said he thought, "Well, I'm not that bad a person, am I? Mm, am I? Am yeah, I?" Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of our favorite Homer Simpson episode when he yeah. has a dream about God, and he says, "I'm not a bad guy. I work hard. I love my kids. So why should I spend half my Sunday hearing about how I'm going to hell?" <laughs> So he has a good point there, Homer. Yeah. So this word sin. Mm. Where does this word sin come from? What what does it mean? Well, yes. I mean, I think it, first of all, I think there's there's a reason we chose sin and salvation for the title of this this episode because I think taken on its own, it it is all those things that you described. It's 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 one half it's a very one-sided way of looking at the human problem or the human predicament or human nature. Mm. 
um, to describe us as sinners, to say that our main problem is sin and that, you know, we need to be constantly reminded of sin and all that. That's a very, very one-sided picture. Um, unfortunately, you know, in terms of, particularly in your friend's unfortunate experience, mm. sometimes the church has been incredibly one-sided. So it's it's uh, it's overemphasized sin to the point of making people feel um, unhealthy amounts of guilt and shame. Mm. Um, so I think we need to just hold up our hands and admit that we've, at times in our history, we've got it mm. wrong. On the other hand, um, never to mention sin and to say that everything is fine, we're all okay, no, we don't really ever do anything particularly bad, um, you know, the world is basically fine, is is just patently untrue, I think. Mm. So somewhere between those two ditches of, you know, we're all a bunch of evil, you know, people should be condemned, and we're all just nice, fluffy, you know, kittens. Somewhere between those two extremes lies reality, I think. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to be a religious person to to see that. Um, so having said all that, I think the there is an argument for saying that sin is the is the fundamental problem in the human condition. Um, St. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm. Um, so there's a sense in which if there's a if there's a standard of shall we say behavior attitude relationship um if there's a standard uh to our living that is entirely good and we might call that god then none of us reach that standard mm. we might mm. we might occasionally you know pass through the sunlit uplands of being <laughs> you know exemplary human beings but most of us are a bit of a mixed bag most of the time and some of us do some pretty awful things and and most of us in our lives will do something that we are deeply ashamed of um that that we should be ashamed of frankly that is is bad and wrong and hurts others and perhaps hurts ourselves so so um i suppose there are many ways that we can look at sin but one way is saying that it's a falling short of the standards that god has for humanity yes and so i heard that the the word sin comes it's a translation of uh greek and it was something about missing the mark from a a bow and arrow or Mm. flinging a stone um so it's so when i heard that that completely changed it for me because it's yeah. It's like you're you're trying to hit a mark, you're trying to hit a standard of being, behavior, as you say, but sometimes yeah. we just miss it. That sort of softened it a bit for me, mm. and I like that idea because it means that you can try again sort of thing, yep. Um, yep. rather than I'm just being damned. And I'm an evil person. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that is a helpful way of putting it. It's still quite a, a sort of moralistic way of putting it, I suppose. Um, it's saying that we're, you know, sin is essentially about wrong actions, wrongdoing, okay. or failing. Sometimes we say in church, we say confession, and we say, you know, for the for the 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 bad that I've done and the good that I've failed to do, you know, um, you know, God forgive me. Mm. Um, and but that, again, it's still looking at sort of individual behaviors. 
I think probably a a, a richer or a, a a bigger sort of understanding of sin in the Bible sees sin almost like a kind of it's almost like a disease. It's almost like an infection um, or a, a rupture mm. in the in the fabric, the good fabric of creation. Because you know, as I was saying to, we had our youth group this evening, and we were talking about uh, things in life that 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 um, make our life feel empty and things that make us feel that we're living a full life and we're looking at different comparisons. Um, so, and I was reminding the young people that, you know, if we, we take the theology of Genesis, where God creates a world and he says, everything he makes, he says, this is good. God mm. looked at it and he saw that it was mm. good. And so it's st- we start off immediately with this sense of we're made in the image of God. Creation is good. It's it's part of God's goodwill and 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 His delight to create this world with us in it, and He and His fundamental disposition toward us is that He loves us and delights in us. And sin is is almost this kind of slippery thing that sneaks in and just slightly spoils God's good creation. And that's why I think in in Genesis the the genius of having sin. Um, or if you like, uh, the devil personified as a snake, mm. is that it, it creates that that sneaky right. thing that just sneaks into God's good creation and, and sows those seeds of doubt and 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 uh, you know, did God really say that you mustn't eat any fruit in the garden? You know, and it, it's it, sooner or later when you start talking about sin, you're going to have to go to the Adam and Eve story because it's such a profound um, story, often misunderstood, I think, and 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 used for. Not so good reasons, mm. but um, but it's but that's really the 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 biblical image, I suppose, of of sin is that it's it is this sort of sneaky, slippery thing that just tarnishes the good thing that God has made, mm. um, and we can choose to cooperate with that and and go down that path and and listen to the snake if you like, or we can choose to resist and to put our trust in God and to to. To, to beat back sin using the sort of spiritual weapons in our arsenal, if you like. Mm, um, mm. So, so that's, um, I know I'm mixing my metaphors all over the place there, but, um, but sin is almost this kind of insidious force mm. um, rather than just the sum total of our bad actions. Mm. Okay. And is, so you were talking about Adam and Eve. Um, mm. And we, what is, is that, Original sin? What's original sin? Yeah, so so that's this this is where it gets really interesting. So original sin concept of um was really I suppose it was um uh it's probably described most fully by Saint Augustine. Um but it's 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 sort of so he believed that um you know, as Saint Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but he believed that the whole human race is what he called fallen. Right. So so the the Adam and Eve story, you know, they're put in the garden, everything is cool, they're having a great time, they're happy, you know, um, they've got everything they need, but God gives them this one prohibition, you know, don't eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mm. right? So the, it's an age of innocence, that's the idea. Um, the snake comes along, uh, tempts Eve, who... Who, and Adam just follows along because he's a man, and <laughs> and so they 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 eat the fruit, and it says their eyes are, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they were ashamed, and they covered themselves. And then it's so heartbreaking. There, there. It says the Lord God was walking in. The, it's very mythological, mm. right? So the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, 
and uh, and he he cries out to he cries out Adam and Eve where are you where are you because they're ashamed and they're hiding from him and then um from then on everything in creation goes wrong right so death comes into the world suffering comes into the world pain the whole shebang mm. right now it's it's a it's an origin myth that's what it is I mm. think. some people believe in a literal Adam and Eve and that's fine mm. um but I don't really I think that misses the point really to worry too much about that they, they, um, it's a story that that says that's really honest. I think that there is something wrong with this world, and and we we do like to collaborate with that. We do like to go back to these old things that, or, or we like to. We always think that we know better, yeah. and that, that we can make our own decisions. I think we're, we're the human race is almost like a a bunch of perennial sort of teenagers, really. We're always thinking, well, I know better than my parents. Yeah, I know better yeah. than that. I can find out myself. I'm going to sow my wild oats and I'm, going to, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. But of course, every generation makes the mm. same mistakes, doesn't it? And has to relearn and relearn and relearn. So I think the human race is a bit like that. Um, but anyway, original sin for St. Augustine, because um, of that f- primal sort of choice to abate, to... to um, disobey God and to follow our own way, that the whole human race was from then on in fallen. Dagnamit. Dagnamit. You know, it's like, and, and there's nothing and nothing we can do about it, you know? Now, this the problem with the, the concept of original sin gets in for a really bad press because, mm. A, it sort of assumes that there was some primal event of falling, whereas I'm not really sure that that's what the Adam and Eve story is saying. I think Adam and Eve... It's much more of a universal story, yeah. but this is what human beings do yes. in every generation, as I've just been saying. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever the the original sin idea is, really that that you know we're we're all fallen because of this primal event of rebellion, and um, we're born with it. You're born sinful. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just you know you're born sinful, and 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 you have to find salvation then. Um, because in your nature, your nature has been inherently corrupted. Yes, and that that so you can some s- people you know. are going to really, uh, you know, not like that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and I didn't used to like it. But there is part of that that is very freeing. I think. I think it's basically saying human beings f up, and yes, everyone <laughs> does it, and you yeah. will. Your friends will, and you know we're not perfect. We can be arrogant. Yeah. We can be just idiots, basically. Um, yeah. So to admit that is quite freeing, I think. I I think so, but I also think it's the hardest lesson. To yeah, learn yeah, yeah. Because when I when I was younger, I. I, I did feel guilty. I knew I'd done things that were wrong, but I had no sort of mechanism for dealing with that. I just, I just sort of shoved it to one side all the time, or shoved it under the down the back of the sofa and hoped it would go away, yeah. and and wondered why it didn't. Um, and it to me, it wasn't until I became a Christian that I understood what real forgiveness meant and understood what it meant to be free of guilt and shame. And if you want to hear the story, it's in episode one of the podcast, I think, <laughs> but um, just to, you know, give a plug for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it is an offensive thing because it offends our pride um, to say yeah. that we're sinful, that we're fallen. It offends our sense of um, self sort of um, uh, 
you know, autonomous kind of, you know, um, self that, that we're in control of our lives. And, and those are all the things that, you know, the ego hates being told that because the ego thrives on believing that you're in control and in charge and mm. can, can navigate through the world successfully. And, and that's fine, you know. Um, again, though, we're, we're sort of, we're always in danger of overemphasizing it. And that's what I think people have a go at Augustine for. Um, I mean, Augustine... He's a fascinating case in point, actually, because his his confessions is one of the most famous sort of works of Christian literature. Mm. One of the it's actually the first, I think, I think it is the first um, autobiography. Oh, wow! Um, so they say. Anyway. Oh, yeah, um, yes, this rings bells now. He was he mm. he had quite a um, he had a lot of fun yeah, I mean, he, in his teenage years, yeah. didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was a bit of a naughty boy, you know, and played the field, I think, spiritually, you know, but, mm. but eventually had this experience of, of God and, and, and uh, of, of his sins being forgiven, you know, the conversion experience. Um, but it meant that I think for him, because of where he'd come from, he, he had the, what they call the zeal of a convert, right? He's very harsh on sin because, because he mm. himself, you know, he, he knew where he'd come from. So, so in some ways he was a wise guide and in other ways he wasn't so wise. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, it's, it's fascinating. So, so again, we're always faced with this constant, um, this constant balancing act between, yes, I acknowledge that we're sinners, but also we don't, A, judge others. I mean, that's the, one of the hardest things. Mm. And also we're not, we're not, um, we don't just, you know, trample on our own self-esteem and and because that could be so demotivating um mm. you know a right knowledge of sin a, a healthy knowledge of sin should always spur us on to want to change and and want to accept god's forgiveness um and and move on and and build build it should be something that builds you up you know yeah because um it can go too far can't it because they're you know weren't they're monks in the middle ages beating themselves up and whipping themselves um yeah and wearing hair shirts and yeah like yeah, yeah because yeah. you know i think they felt that was the only way to salvation i guess um to absolve themselves of their sins yeah and 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 in some ways they were right because <laughs> one one in some Have ways you got a hair I mean shirt is, <laughs> my hair shirt's in the wash um <laughs> no 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 well i and i wouldn't necessarily condone their actions but in some ways they're right that one of the one of the keys to an effective i suppose spiritual life is discipline so having some discipline gives you a pattern to live by where whereby you're not just going around in circles you're you've actually have a way of life that you live by that that fosters good habits of living because you know, I suppose another definition of sin could just be, um, you know, it's it's bad habits of thought and behavior mm. that we can't break free of. Mm. Um, and you know, there's there are modern psychological words for all these things, um, but the old the old words will do, I think. But so, you know, you you keep going back to the same. St. Paul talks about it. He says the very thing that I don't want to do is the very thing I do. And he says, "Who will save me from this body of death?" He says. And he, then he says, thanks be to, to God who does this in Jesus Christ the Lord. So, so in, and this is, moves us on to thinking about salvation. How do you break those cycles and habits of sin? Mm-hmm. Well, um, 
that's one of the things that Jesus can do. And one of the things we believe that Jesus does through his death and resurrection is, is breaks the, the cycle of sin. Um, and, and that's as true, I think, in sort of almost political terms as it is in personal terms. So one way of looking at the cross, for example, mm. um, well, not for example, but primarily one way of looking at the cross is to see it as something that breaks the cycle of violent retribution. Mm. So, you know, he, Jesus goes willingly to death like a lamb to the slaughter. The Romans and the Jews and the authorities conspire together to, to put him to death. He doesn't fight back. He goes, he, you know, he, he keeps the moral ground, if you like, mm. and refuses to retaliate. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Um, and, and, and that's almost what, and then God vindicates all that by raising him to new life. So, so there's a sort of political dimension, if you like, to the way God um, breaks that cycle by entering into it and redeeming it. And then there's a personal level, I suppose, as well, whereby what I've just been talking about, when we, we have these experiences of sin, um, and somehow when we look at Christ on the cross and we see him suffering there for dying for the sins of the world, whatever that means, however that works, um, there's, there's, a, there's a miraculous freedom that happens that, that Jesus seems to take our sins upon himself and die with them. And, and, and people experience amazing freedom by trusting in Jesus. And we, we associate that in Christian theology with his death on the cross. Now, we can go into how that works, but, um, and that's debatable how that works, but it's, um, it nevertheless is the experience of Christians that the cycles of sin that we get trapped in can be broken by the, the love of Jesus. Does that make sense to you, Rob? That well, kind of thinking? I do find it a bit confusing. Um, uh, mm. And I was going to say, ask a cheeky question. So if Jesus died for our sins, can I just sin now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I do whatever well, I like? Uh, he, he's, it's all dealt yeah. with. It's all forgiven. Yeah, yeah. Well, St. Paul asks the same question. Ah. He's, you know, there's very few questions that haven't already been asked by St. Paul. Um, it's very annoying, but, um, but he, he says, you know, so um, uh, he says, well, he asked that, yeah, he asked that exact question. You know, so if, if Christ died for my sin, what shall I just sin? I, maybe I should yeah. sin more, and that amplifies God's grace, you know, because it says, look, Brilliant. you know, it's that kind of theology, yeah. that kind of um, logic, you know. And then, but then he says, I think he's, I can't remember exactly where the reference is, but he says, by no means, you know, because it's as if, it, that would be making a mockery of the whole thing, mm. you know. As if say, what was the point in him dying in the first place? For we were going to do, you know, um, the the um, the. It, I think you've got to at some point when you're talking about sin and salvation, you've got to start talking about relationship, relationship with God. And again, another way of understanding sin. This is maybe I don't know how many we've had so far. This is maybe number three, but. Um, one way of understanding sin is that sin brings alienation. So right. when, yeah. we, when we act selfishly, when we act cruelly, when we act out of pride or, or you know, out of a desire to see others suffer or whatever, um, when we do these sinful things, when you abuse someone, um, they cause a rupture in relationship between people. So, I mean, you can think of any example you want, really. You know, if I was to come around your house and just punch you in the face, Rob, you know, it would be, 
we we may not be doing this podcast for very much longer, you know, because it'd be like you bastard. Yeah. Um, but but that you know that's a very a very sort of visceral example. Yes. But but you know, it, sin causes rupture yeah. in relationship, yeah. and that's the most tragic um, upshot of it. So I mean, another example, better example, I suppose, would be an infidelity in marriage, for example. You know. It's it's it, you're trampling on something sacred, which is your trust for each other and the vows you've made, mm. and by by committing adultery, mm. again one of the Ten Commandments, one of the Third Law commit adultery, um, you're trampling over that relationship, and often marriages will then break down. And so, if we extend that uh, that idea of of broken relationship to God, I mean, one of the things the psalmist says is that I have sinned against you, against you only have I sinned. He says to God. So in other words, when we do things that are sinful, when we live in a way that hurts other people, it not only affects our relationship with each other, with our planet, with creation, it also affects our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where you have to get really careful because, you know, one version of that is getting a little bit back to Augustine and and that and and your friend with that very judgmental thing mm. where where you know, we we commit a sin and God is so holy that he's deeply offended. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he stole some paper clips out of the stationery <laughs> cupboard. How could my follower have done that? I will turn my back on him. I will reject yeah. him forever because he's done this thing, right? Um, I think that's abs I have to say, I think that's theological bollocks, right? Because I think, you know, there's and I can give you stuff to read on this, but it's, you know, yes, God is holy, right? But we have this idea that God is too holy to look on sin. And there's a verse in one of the prophets where it says, the prophet says to God, you that are too holy to look on sin. And then in the very next verse, he says, why do you do it then? Why don't you do something about it? Right? The context of that statement is a complaint that God is continually looking upon sin and is continually lamenting that we've done stuff, but is always, 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 always calling us back to relationship. Mm. Um, and that's the key thing. So yes, sin does does cause a rupture in our relationship with God, but I would qualify that by saying what it does is it makes us do like Adam and Eve. We hide in the garden. We cover ourselves. We hide from our heavenly dad because we're ashamed and we don't want to get a bollocking or because we just feel bad about ourselves. Mm. But God is always trying to find us and say, look, I know you, I, you know you've sinned. I know you've sinned. What are we going to do about it? Are you going to come back to me? Are you going to let me forgive you? And from that place of love and acceptance and that goodness that is what I made you for, you can then move forward and maybe not do it the next mm. time. That, mm. and, that's, and that is why God sent Jesus. He, you know, there's, there's these different theologies of salvation that say, you know, God sent Jesus because he had to deal with sin by having a blood sacrifice. He couldn't possibly forgive us unless somebody bled and died. And, oh, here comes Jesus. He's my son. I'm going to kick his ass, mm. and, and then I'll let you off because he's paid mm. for it. Now, that's one theology. You can, you can have that if you want, and it's in the Bible, and you can, you can emphasize that. But, but I, for me, it's salvation is God's rescue mission, not God's punishment mission. So... God sends Jesus in the world to to show us how much God loves us, show us what what relationship with God looks like mm. and how it can be restored. 
and he goes so far into that that he'll even he even dies on the cross mm. Um, mm. Um, for that, and and again breaks that cycle. So so you've got two different versions there of how God deals with sin. Um, both of them about relationship, but I'm pretty sold on the latter. You know that that it's it's when again if we think about it in human terms, when you've fallen out with someone, mm. and I mean, I meet families sometimes where they haven't spoken to each other for 30 mm. years because of some grudge. Mm. The only thing that, that, that mends that relationship is when one member of the family is willing to step across the threshold and say, look, I know we've fallen out. You hurt me, but I'm willing to move towards you. I'm willing to, to make that step of sacrifice, sacrifice my pride and reach out to you Um in the hope that we can rebuild things. And and that's, that to me is what, what God does in Jesus. He, he reaches out to us with this offer of reconciliation. Mm, mm. Um, and, and, and that is what overcomes sin. Actually, that is what overcomes sin. Um, anyway, I've, I'm, I'm on my preachy soapbox. I'm in my pulpit now. <laughs> you love it. Uh, you, you're away. Yeah. But, but, but that, but I get, yeah, to sum up that little bit, what I mean is that, yeah, sin results in broken relationship. And God comes to mend that relationship, and that's what we call salvation. And it, um, right. So I was gonna ask, what is a sin? But you've just summarised it all. I was thinking there was sort of like the Ten Commandments and well, and, yeah, a, and mean, a list of things. Yeah. But I guess all those things are about breaking relationships. Well, if you look at the Ten Commandments, yeah. yeah. So, so the first commandment is, "I am the Lord your God." You shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, it's about covenant, and that the covenant means an agreement, or you know, a commitment, a committed, loving relationship. That's what it is. What covenant is? Um, so, so yeah, the first thing is, I'm your God. You're my people. Let's love each yeah. other. Let's live together. Yeah. So that number one commandment is that. Um, uh, and so um, I'm going to forget the Ten Commandments now, which is oh, terrible. But, uh, you know, but it's all all the things that yes. one one shouldn't do, yeah. right? So so ki- killing. Prohibition on killing, on murder. Murder tends to put a bit of a downer on relationship. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, s- stealing, you know, again, breaks a social contract in society, stealing. Um, and it's not nice to steal from your loved ones either. Um, uh, lying, you know, it's, it's, pre- it's pretty obvious when you put it in that relational context. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the more subtle ones, I suppose, honor your father and your mother. Again, it's relationship. Um, the more subtle ones um, about coveting, so it's so a wanting what somebody else has. Someone's so ass. So co- yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want your ass. <laughs> Do not covet your neighbor's ass. I mean, you know, it's your neighbor's possessions Giggle. is what it means. Yes, but yes, walls. Um, my neighbor has such a good ass. I covet it. I want well, it for myself. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but the. The, the interesting thing about, you know, they, they shall not commit adultery. You know, again, that's a really obvious one. But, but they shall not covet thy neighbor's wife or, or do not covet your neighbor's wife is a very subtle and pernicious commandment because it's, it, or the sin is, um, because it's saying, if, if you look over at, you know, your friend next to you and think, oh, fancy, fancy his wife, it's a way of saying I'm deeply dissatisfied with my own wife so much so that I want this other one. You know, it's like, that's really, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that none of us ever feel like that. I'm sure we do at times, you know, and it's not, but it, but you can see how subtle that is. 
And that's what that dissatisfaction with the good things that God has given you, the good people that God has given you, mm. which is pretty shallow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a sin, but it's also a sin of that that that, that undermines the, those relationships of trust. Yeah. So that, Jesus said, "You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery.' But I tell you that anyone who gazes at a woman to lust after her." has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So that's pretty damning. So even if you think it, yeah. that's harsh, man. Well, it depends. Yes, it is. But it's also, it's also, you know, one of the truest things that's ever been written about men. <laughs> you know, I think Jesus is speaking from experience here, right? I, I, I'm not, I don't think he's... Jesus was a red-blooded man. He was fully man, mm. right? So to suggest that Jesus was never attracted to somebody who he couldn't have or who was belonged to somebody else, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's slightly farcical. Now, it's not, it's, not, um, it's not sinful to be attracted to someone. My goodness, you can hardly help it, can you? Well, I was going to say, it's, there's some kind of powerful nature stuff going on there, isn't there? So, Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. I mean, we're programmed that way. But what is sinful is to obsess about them and, and you know, right. to the point of which you become, you know, I mean, I think it was Martin Luther said, you, you, you can't, he described sin like a little bird or temptation like a little mm. bird. And he said, you can't stop the little bird from landing on your head. <laughs> you can't stop it. But you can stop it from building a nest, <laughs> right? Brilliant. Which I like that distinction. Now, now, I think Jesus walked through his life having many, many little birds of temptation landing on his head. But what he was able to do through his divinity, I guess, or through his relationship with God, was stop them building nests. You know, and the problem is that we quite like those nests because they sort of appeal to our ego, and we think, "Oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could have her, or if I could have the Ferrari, or if I could, you know, whatever, live live a kind of life of hedonism mm. and, and sod the consequences." Mm. You know, we we all think those things at different levels and and i suppose what the you know the ten commandments um do and and what the the whole christian faith does is it, it tries to just be really honest about that stuff and expose it for what it is that these things are they're not necessarily bad things in themselves but they're um but they're but they're they're, they're disordered and that's another way i suppose we could think about sin as a kind of disorder in 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 nor in healthy mm, relationships, yes, that's a um, good so word. A disordered relationship, you know, an abusive relationship or a, an adulterous relationship is disorder. For me, it's much better to say that desire is a good thing, but it becomes disorder. Mm, so the, mm. the the point, the what's sinful is not desire itself, but but disordered desire. So the Christian life, I suppose, one way of thinking about the Christian life and about relationship with God and with one another is to describe it as desire rightly ordered. Mm. And I don't know where I got that phrase from. I might have made it up. I might have pinched it from someone. But I like Sounds it. Good. Desire rightly ordered. Yeah, yeah, you know? so, yeah. So, so, you know, worship God. You've got all these desires for things. You've got these hunger for things. Well, desire God who who can, who will, you know, it's never wrong to desire God, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and he can, he can handle it and, it, you know, it'll be fine. Um so yeah, desire rightly ordered is a is a yeah yeah. Thinking about it. So how yeah. um how do we become conscious of our own wrongdoings, our own 
sin? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. In fact, I think I think it's a question I thought it of. Is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've committed the sin of pride there, obviously. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, how do we become conscious of sin? Well, fascinating. Again, I can only really speak from my own experience, but um, one way of thinking about it is think about our conscience. And most people would agree that we have, or you know, within us, there's something that we we can identify as our conscience, so an inner voice that tells us the difference between right and wrong, and and sometimes that conscience can can lead us to true guilt. So you know, when you you have genuinely screwed up, and you know, you should feel guilty, mm. frankly. Um, sometimes it can lead us to false guilt. We've got to be careful. Um, it can be a little bit fickle, the conscience. Um, but there's this sense that we have this sort of inner innate thing inside us that, that sort of guides us. Now, if I think if you if you only it's a bit like in Pinocchio, isn't it? You know that Jiminy Cricket is his Pinocchio, mm, his conscience, yeah. right? And he says, "Always let your conscience be your guide." But but Jiminy Cricket, you know, is a bit. It's interesting story, Pinocchio. Mm. Um, Jiminy Cricket is a bit. You know, he sort of falls down on the job sometimes, doesn't he? And he doesn't quite, you know, do it very well. And so he, so Pinocchio needs the blue fairy to come in and sort him out. And the blue fairy is a kind of Christ figure, I think. But anyway, mm. um, forgives him, you know. Um, and uh, anyway, we could go down that <laughs> rabbit trail. But, yeah. but your 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 conscience is 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 part of it. But I don't think it's enough on its own. Um, you need something external to yourself, I think, in order to make you fully conscious of sin. Now, for me, it was. As I told the story, I was very conscious that I'd had this temptation. Um, this is back in my 20s. Mm. And I hadn't acted on it, but I'd felt very guilty about it. And it wasn't until I prayed about it, I said, God, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel so awful? Please take this feeling away that I felt it being removed from me. And I attribute that to to God's intervention in my mm. life. And that was the moment I became a Christian, right? Mm. Now, I was filled with a deep, deep consciousness of sin that I don't think really came from my conscience. I think it was the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God who dwells within mm. us, um, even before we recognize him or her, right? Um, the Holy Spirit dwells and is, is at work in us and, and, and moving us, drawing us closer to God. Um, so so, so that, that I think that's where that consciousness comes from, is, um, is through the Holy Spirit. Of course, there are external, other external things. So we talked about Ten Commandments. So that's a revelation, if you mm-hmm. like, of, of God's will for us and, and God's vision of a good life. Uh, that's a way that we become conscious of things. We look at the Ten Commandments and think, oh dear, <laughs> I've, you know, how many of those have I done this morning? Yeah. You know, hopefully not too yeah. many. But, um, so, so the, you know, think scripture, the tradition, wisdom of the church can, can make us conscious of sin. Um, Again, it's not perfect, right? Because we sometimes have got things wrong, and we've said that some things are sinful, which actually, in many cases, aren't sinful. Yeah. I don't think. Um, but we've 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 had other reasons for saying that they were sinful. Yeah. You know? um, I don't want really to necessarily go down that that rabbit trail, but um, so there are those external factors, um, and I think sometimes we become conscious of sin through other people who tell us if we got someone that trusts you. And they see that your life is going down a bad path. You would hope that I think we would all hope that we'd have a good enough friend who could sit us down and say, "What are you doing?" Mm. You know, and have the have the the, the 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 trust in a relationship to be able to tell it how it is, and without um, 
without fear of rejection. Now that's you probably have one or two people in your whole life that that you trust to do that, I guess. Um, but I know it when my wife tells me stuff, and <laughs> you know, I don't always agree with her, but there are times that I have to admit she does know me quite well. Yes, and, yeah, uh, and 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 I ought to listen to yeah. her. Yeah. So so those those are a few ways I think um, we become conscious of sin. I I yeah. so yeah. During the church service, uh, we say this little bit, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. So that, that I used to, when I first went to church, I didn't like that passage at all. But I love it now because it humbles yeah. me. It Just going through that on a Sunday, I think some things pop into my head that I feel bad about. Like maybe I mm. shouted at my son unnecessarily or uh, maybe I wasn't compassionate enough to somebody or, you know, um, they pop into my head. And so saying these words that, yeah, I was an idiot. I'm really sorry. Um, and then it right at the end, um, you know, it just feels like a refreshing thing you know uh grant that we may serve you in newness of life um you know forgive yeah. us all that is past I, yeah. I love that bit it's in the past it's done with mm. i am sorry for it but let's move on um help yeah. me to move on and that that's exactly that's how that's how it should be um confession in church should be specific and it should be um real and transformative well martin you've been as always hugely transformative <laughs> and informative may the dog owner who didn't pick up their dog's poo be forgiven for their sins <laughs> thank you martin very good and see you next time see you next time rob bye thank you so much for listening to god botherers if you would like to get in touch, please contact us at godbotherspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page. Come and join us. Just search for God Botherers Podcast. It would help us so much if you could rate, like and subscribe and share our podcast wherever you can. And next time we'll be talking all about prayer. What is prayer? How do I pray? Does it work? Join us next time to find out. Bye.